Welcome back to the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast, an iHeartRadio and Dan Patrick Podcast Network production. I'm Alan Nevins. And I'm Joey Santos. We've got a great guest coming up today, David Yontoff. He is the host of the award-winning podcast, Behind the Velvet Rope. We're going to let him dish, and we're going to sit back and just enjoy it. So it's gonna we're going to serve him a cocktail and let him do all the dishing. His, yeah, he loves a martini, so we have that. I prepared a special martini for today. Also, we're going to talk about some guilty pleasures in reality TV, what your favorite shows are, what you like, why. You know, I'm going to expose mine. Your I promise character. to expose mine. Yeah, I'm going to expose mine, too, and I'm, I'm a little flushed because it is that guilty a pleasure let's grab a drink and dive in so joey what's happening what's what's our cocktail today david's uh favorite drink is he loves a martini perfect martini Uh uh-huh there's something in my perfect martini well it's called a it looks like it has hairs it rhymes with hairs. It's called pears. Oh, it's a pear. It's a pear. Hairs. Oh, because they do have, there are no, little. they are. Look at it closely. There's like little. Fibrous. Under the light. Yeah. Is that a word? Fibrous? Yeah. Fibrous. Fibrous. <laughs> Sounds like fibrous. a condition. I have fibrous. You do. So anyway, so it's uh, Grey Goose, pear, uh-huh. uh, alcohol, vodka. And then I add a little bit of a fresh pear juice. Just a sweet and really simple, ice cold. And then you float a, a slice of a peel It's pear. good. It's really good. I like this. Yeah. It's fresh tasting. Mm-hmm. So this is a this to welcome down David a little too fast. to our show because his favorite drink is a martini, so a pear martini. So there you go. I love it. Another week has passed. How was your week? <sighs> it was lovely. <laughs> no, you know. It, lovely. You know what lovely means? <laughs> lovely means we're healthy, we're alive, and we're just waiting to get through it. There's not much we can do. I mean, our lives, all of our lives have changed drastically. So the things we took for granted, even going to the supermarket or all those little things, you know, they have a whole different meaning. So, I mean, of course, work. And, I mean, I stay busy at home. Um, When this whole pandemic started, I have done more home improvement than anybody I know, literally. Outside the deck, inside, I changed the bedroom. I redid the kitchen. I redid the... You know, floors, new furnishings, new, you know. But it's kind of fun because if you're going to spend that much time there, you got to make it. Oh, know, yeah, that. I'm doing the same thing. Everything that needed to be fixed is practically fixed. I also discovered a new TV show, In the Dark. Have you seen that? Wait, with wait, this, wait. Don't say it. This, it's, uh, is it a Netflix show? Yeah. And who's the star of it? I haven't even looked to see anything about the show other than this I'm watching it. This is not that. No. This is the blind girl who's trying to to solve the murder of her friend. And it is hysterical. It's a dramedy uh, because it feels a little bit like a police procedural, right? Right. Yet she has, she's so wacky, this character, and she has the funniest lines that I find myself laughing out loud because she's just kind of that kooky character that does those things that people don't normally do. And she kind of goes over the, she steps over the line a lot and says things or does things that, Normally you wouldn't do, and it just makes me laugh out loud. But I'm on, I guess it's, I think it's in its second season, but I went back and I'm on the fifth episode, but I'm finding it very entertaining. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, you got to check it out. There was something else we were talking about. Um, Well, there's so much Netflix, um, so many Netflix shows, which which are, you know, that's really just bring you right in. I have a whole list. I'm just, I get stuck in the reality TV thing. Like we said, those guilty pleasures are too easy. You know, just to sit back and let them pollute you. So I don't watch. I them. haven't hit my list yet, but there's a few I want to. I want to jump on. 
there's a lot of good television out there. Now with all these streaming services, they're all competing. So they keep throwing up more and more and more stuff. Yep. Gosh, whoever thought we, what did we start off in this with television? Two channels, three, three networks. And that was it. Yeah. Wasn't it? NBC, CBS. When you grew up, there were three networks. I didn't join the party until there was full on cable. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? <laughs> uh -huh. That's when, with the antennas on top of your television? I remember that. <laughs> and you Do you remember that? You had to get up on the roof sometimes oh, and your Lord. father would be yelling at you, turn it get... this way, turn it that way. <laughs> or you'd get the snow. Yeah. That shh. Yeah. And what was the story? Was that was that somebody we knew or was that something that would turn off the TV and they'd run to see the little dot go whoop? You could still see the picture that when the TV would oh, go that's right. from it would a come big down screen to a little, to a little tiny dot. Yeah. Yeah. But, in the, but I mean, getting up to change the channel. Yeah, well, we did I mean, that. We didn't it's have hard a enough remote. rolling over and pushing the button on the remote these days, and then yeah, we didn't have a remote for a long time. Oh, and by the way, you know, I switched cable companies, and the company I switched to has a remote that if the wind blows, it it does. And, it and, and you know how I am you. with those kind of things. But what are they? Electronics. <laughs> I'm if if you screw that up and. That wind blew, and I was all over the place. The TV was off. It was crazy. It, my cable went down. I mean, I, I, my internet went all kooky. Just because this remote is so gentle. I hate it. I'm not going to tell you the company Don't tell name. the company. I'm not. But I can guess who but it I is. But I hate it. So you see that Have this is getting off to your me. chest? <laughs> Are you feeling better I need better this now? pandemic to be over. I want to do things. I want to travel. I want to... I don't know. I just can't keep talking about TV stuff. Anyway, and speaking of, uh, you know, my week, how exciting that was. How's yours? My week was good. Busy. Things are busy. Uh, you know, if you follow me on social media, you saw I posted weeks ago that we had sold uh, Joan Collins' diaries. Yeah, I congratulated her. I sent her a note. And so I'm very excited. She's delivered the book. I mean, it was... Mostly done anyways, because there were diaries, but it's been cleaned up and it's been, you know, and it's delivered. So I'm looking forward to that. But it's the uncensored and unapologetic diaries of Joan Collins. And they are hysterical, some of these entries. <laughs> you know how she is. She has an amazing sense of humor and yeah. she doesn't pull any punches. And there were pieces in there that just made me laugh out loud as she talked about other people or she was at, you know, dinner parties and she dishes uh -huh. oh, that's on, on be some fun. people. Um, I wasn't too happy with the piece about me when I found my name in the diary. So we'll have to work on that. Uh, <laughs> Did you mention that? Yes, to her editor. I, said, I was going to say to her editor. that right out there. Right. We'll just. Isn't that, chapter, out. isn't that chapter a little long? Yeah. Let's cut something. Oh, I know. Let's cut this piece yeah, about let's me. Cut that part. Do you remember the Warhol Diaries, that big book when it came out after? Do you remember when he oh, published yeah, that? Oh, yeah, totally. And they were fun. And, you know, he talked about people and places, but he didn't have the same kind of um, dishiness that Joan has. So, and her, hers is much more humorous to read. Mm -hmm. So if you like the Warhol Diaries, I think you will really like these because it sort of goes beyond and is better than those were. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, all the stories just her career alone could could tell. And then her personal stories, I mean, husbands and marriages and you know, all sorts of things. Very, very. Uh, but these are diaries concentrated after Dynasty. So oh, they go really? from Dynasty. So it's AD. It's AD after Dynasty. It's diaries of a certain portion. It covers about, I think, 15 years, 
including some touring of the plays that she did after Dynasty and some others. So it's sort of a limited diary. It's mm-hmm. one section. Does she have a, a little bit about her? Because that was during her uh, Playboy spread, wasn't it? She no, that 50? was before. Was that before Dynasty? Yeah. Or during Dynasty. It must have been during Dynasty. She turned 50 when she did it. I think that was, like yeah, her was fifty birthday present to herself. That was right around. But it wasn't after Dynasty. It was probably during Dynasty. Yeah, I think it was during. Oh, gotcha. So this is after. Yeah, this yeah. is after. Okay, interesting. Well, I'll look forward to that. Because one has no life when you're shooting a show like that. No, so there's true. nothing to write well, down. Well, you just got set stuff. Set stuff, which can you know, get like... boring day after day. <laughs> but Ollie, aren't you going into makeup? I just came out of makeup. Oh, pity. Pity, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Those kind of stories are always fun too. I love that old Hollywood stuff too. You know, people, women especially, don't talk like that or live like that anymore. I remember um, I was very good friends with Rex Reed when I lived in New York in the 90s. And we were going out to dinner. And at the Plaza Hotel years ago, there was, I think it's still there, but who knows now, the Oak Room was a very famous place that everybody went to, you know, socialize. It's still there. Movie stars. Yeah, people and all still that. go. So he was, very, he was pals with Tallulah Bankhead. And it was dead of winter, and they were going for dinner. And then she suggested, let's, let's go to the Oak Room, darling. And they pull up, black limousine. She's got a mink coat on. And in front of where the car pulled up to, to the entrance of the Oak Room was the Salvation Army, you know, with the bells and the jingles and the, the cups and, the pot. and all that stuff. Yeah. So they get out of the car, and she, he said they exit the car, and she looks over, and she sees them, and she right away opens her purse and she pulls two hundred dollar bills out, and she hands it. She says, "Oh, you poor gypsy dancers must be freezing to death." <laughs> she had no idea. She oh, the Salvation Army was. On the <laughs> oh my God! But I mean, it's that kind of out of it, funny, right on right. kind of personality. Talk about not that, being tuned in. Oh, you jump to reality. Yeah, exactly. Uh, those kind of stories, I love those. Well, speaking of reality shows, you know, I represented Dog and Beth Chapman from Dog the Bounty Hunter. Yes, that's right. They were great clients. I was with them for five seasons. You became friends, too. Yeah, we're great friends. Well, you know, Beth has passed, obviously. Yeah, unfortunately. We had a great relationship, but it was, at times, for me, you know, sort of a love-hate. Dwayne used to say, you know, she's as mean as a rattlesnake, but I love her. <laughs> I would say, <laughs> okay, well, you're she married. She gives a hell of a hickey. Yeah, you're married to her, but I ain't. Um... I mean, she and I had some great times, but we also had some times where I just thought, okay, I've had enough of this. Well, she was a tough cookie. There was no getting around her. No, what you saw on TV is what you get. What you got, yeah. Didn't you guys get kicked off a flight to Canada? We did not get kicked off a flight to Canada. (laughs) Let's put that rumor (laughs) right aside. Mm -hmm. I recall. What we did get was banned from Air Canada. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Let me rephrase that. Didn't you and Beth get banned from Air Canada? No, all three of us did. (laughs) But in their defense and my own, it was not, it should not have happened. We were flying to a place you've probably never heard of. I had never heard of it called Regina in Canada. Never heard it, never seen it, never even been in it. Right. (laughs) Or anywhere near it. I know. But But they were having. lovely. Yes. They were, it's right in the middle of Canada. It's warm there, isn't it? It's flat, flat, flat. (laughs) You can't see. It's like, you know, it's like Texas where you can, there's not a mountain in sight, right? And so we were flying up there for the Country Music Awards. But we arrived and the luggage had not arrived. And it had all the clothes. They were presenters on the awards show that night. And none of the clothes showed up. Oh, no. 
And in fact, I mean, none of the clothes. So they had nothing really to wear but what they were wearing, which was not exactly presenter show material. Beth and I rushed over to the window and said, you've got to find these suitcases. And she said, oh, we'll do it. And we went to the hotel. And Beth and I, not trusting the airline, it had nothing to do with it being Air Canada, just airline in general. We started making phone calls. Well, lo and behold, we find the suitcases and they're in San Francisco still. But the person there at United said, you know, this flight leaves in 20 minutes and it's the last flight to where you are. So we need to get permission, though, from Air Canada to put the bags on the flight. Right. So without the passengers, without the passengers. So Beth and I jump in the car and we rush back to the airport at, you know, a little probably faster than we're supposed to by law. And we pull up into the thing. She's like, don't worry about it. Just park in the red. Let's run in. We pull in from the airport and we zip in. And there's that girl. She's not doing a damn thing. She's not on the phone. She's looking up at the sky. It was very annoying. And we could see by her face as we came rushing that she hadn't done anything. You could see panic in her eyes, yeah. right? And we were like, no, no, we, we know where the cases are. Don't worry about it. And we tell her and we hand her the phone number and said, you need to call this number and let them know it's okay for them to. And she goes, oh, no, I can't do that. And we were like, well, what do you mean you can't do that? And she goes, no, I have a flight landing in 10 minutes, and so I, I, I'm busy. Clearly, she was not busy from when we walked up. And, you know, that's when the Beth I knew took over, and she leaned over the counter, and she grabbed that phone in front of that girl, and she slammed it down in front of her. And she said, you will call right now. And this girl literally crossed her arms in front of her and said, no, I'm not going to make that call. Well, as you can imagine, arguments ensued and words were exchanged until she decided she needed to call over a cop. And so Beth and I, yeah, bring the cop over because, you know, cops are very friendly with Dog and Beth. They all oh, they get along sure. very well. So the cop came over. He was facing us, asking him what happened, right? Unbeknownst to us, it's all being captured on, on videotape and the airport security while he's facing us and talking, this girl that works for Air Canada is literally standing behind the cop, and she's mimicking all of us. She's making faces. She's pretending to follow what the cop is doing. And I thought, is she crazy? And I said something. I said, what are you doing? I said, this is the kind of thing that gets people beat up. He does make her make the call, so she makes the call. We get to the awards show that night. Everything's great. This is a massive award show. There's tons of press there. There had to be 200 press people there. I was shocked how, how much it was there. So when Dog and Beth come off the stage after doing their presentation, they come to the press room, we're all standing there, and all they all want to know is, hey, what happened today? What happened today at uh, Air Canada? They then proceeded to tear the airline to shreds and call it a communist, you know, uh, government-owned communist airline and how awful. And there was a little incident on the plane that had nothing to do with us, but they they talked about that too. So the next morning, when we woke up, we'd all received emails saying we had been banned from Air Canada. So how long was the drive back from Regina? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, we were like, okay, so we can't fly Air Canada. But the problem was, there's not a lot of ways to get out of Regina if you're not on Air Canada. So we ended up having to take three flights just to get back, back. to the U.S. Mm-hmm. because we couldn't fly in Air Canada. Later, as it turned out, it was a problem. I was flying with another client of mine. We were on our way to Vancouver, and we had to stop in San Francisco to switch planes. And as we were getting on the second plane, then suddenly I got the old hand in my chest thing, and they were like, no, what? you can't get on the plane. I was like, what are you talking about? 
And they said, no, you're on the no-fly list. I said, how am I on the no-fly list? They said, you're not allowed to fly on Air Canada. I said, we're on United. They said, no, unfortunately, this segment is run by Air Canada, and we can't let you on. And my client just looked at me, and she said, I don't want to know. Just meet me in Vancouver. <laughs> and I ended up having to wait for another, you know, two hours or something for another flight to come along that, would, a different airline. that would take me. But I could see that this was going to be a problem, and I finally called them, and I called the attorney that had banned us. And I said, you know, you banned me for something I had nothing to do with. And she said, oh, well, you know, you threatened this girl at the airport. And I said, threatened her? Yeah, you, she claims you said you were going to hit her. So I had to do the whole thing all over again. What had happened, they had pulled the tapes already to, to look at them. And she said that everything I said actually matched the tapes and not what this employee right. of Air Canada had told them. So they relented and gave me a letter saying I could fly Air Canada, so they which, I, which I carry with me to this day with my passport. Right. And then also the... the um the letter that you wrote, you know, praising how much you love Air Canada now and everything. Yes, of course. And they're the best the airline. They are the best yes. airline around, know. you know. Very good airline. I will. That's my motto, and I'm going to stick to it. <laughs> well, it's, you can always fly Air Regina. Yeah, well. Next time. Yeah, Dog and Beth were never allowed to fly ever again. They didn't, they didn't forgive them because they were the ones that actually said something. I was just an innocent yeah, you were just, bystander. Well, you were representing them. Uh, didn't they give you your dogs, by the way, Murphy and, and Babe? Weren't they gifts from Beth and and They uh, weren't and gifts, dogs? but what had happened is that my previous dog, Roman, had died. Oh, that's right. And he was a bull terrier. And they knew that I was quite upset. And they called me and they said, you know, we've got this you know, friend of ours who has this bull terrier. But because they have small children, they're not, you know, not excited about having the dog in the house and he's very you know lonely and he's a loving dog and I saw photos and three days later he was on a flight from Hawaii to LA and he was the most lovable yeah, I remember wonderful Murphy. dog Best. the problem is that he'd been tied up for so long outside that he didn't want to be al he was alone a lot and he didn't want to be alone yeah. so every time I'd leave the house he'd pee on something and then about a year later Dog and Beth had arrested this kid in Colorado, and he had this little Boston Terrier with him. You can see that in two episodes of Dog the Bounty Hunter, by the way. You can see my dog. And they took the dog because he was going to jail. And when the girlfriend came to pick up the dog, she and Beth had words. <laughs> surprisingly, <laughs> surprisingly, Beth told her, you know, where to go. And this drugged out girl basically said, yo, I don't want the dog anyway. And Beth said, good, because I'm not giving her to you. And then when they were leaving Colorado to go back to Hawaii, Hawaii has a quarantine, uh, quarantine for rabies, time, six yeah. months. But you can, you can spend the quarantine here on the mainland while you get your shots. So she said, oh, would you watch our dog for six months? I was like, you want me to watch your dog for six months? Well, that's asking a lot of your manager. But they kind of said, yes, there wasn't, a, they didn't really let me off the hook. And, but about three months into that, uh, I called and said, you know, do you really want babe back? Because yeah, she's a love, she's a love and all like that. Murphy stopped peeing because she was in the house. Well, match so, made in heaven. And they said, no, no, you can keep her. We were hoping you would say that is what they said, actually. And I thought, oh, this, they manipulated me. Yeah, well, in a good way. In a good way, because in, in the end, Murphy, uh, you know, stopped peeing. And, yeah, it had a great and life. And now, unfortunately, Murphy's gone, but we've got Babe, and she's, you know, keeps, she's the, adjusting now. keeps the flame going. She's good. sort of adjusting. She's sitting here right next to me. Mm -hmm. She's got to be next to me at all times. 
Coming up, we have David Yontov, who's going to join the conversation today. So it's going to be fun and silly, and stay tuned. I look forward to it. So today joining us, we're very happy he has agreed to do it, David Yontav, who has a very successful podcast. Yes, he does. Behind the Velvet Rope. Where we haven't been invited. Thank you for making me feel so welcome. You're going to step behind the velvet rope. We have so much we want to talk to you about. Not only are you sort of the reality king reporter, but (laughs) I have represented some reality stars in the past. The Gambler from Storage Wars. And I had the Hillstrand Brothers from The Deadliest Catch. Dog and Beth Chapman from Dog the Bounty Hunter for five seasons. Didn't you have Ava Marcel as well? from? And I have Ava Marcel. Atlanta, Real Housewives of Atlanta. We made you a cocktail. We understand that your favorite is a pear martini. It is. So we thought, and because Alan and I are both drinking, we called it the perfect pear. That looks so good. Well, we use the Grey Goose, uh, Le Pois, and then I added a little bit of fresh pear juice and then a fresh pear to finish it off. So good afternoon. Good afternoon to you too. And let me tell you, kudos for drinking the pear martini, the perfect pear out of those glasses. Because I'm one of those, I'm not a wine snob. I don't care, whatever. But when it comes to martinis, like I hate when you go somewhere and they serve it in that small French round glass. It drives yeah, I hate that. Oh, I do insane. too. That is the glass you should yeah. have. And it looks like you have about so that a That little half glass ounce. was like, it always reminded me of Marilyn Monroe Tipsy because she would drink champagne and all her, the pictures of her drinking champagne were always in those strange little round, short stemmed. Yeah. Doesn't it look so 50s? It's, you know, it's kind of cool in a way, but not to really drink it. No. It looks like a thimble full of alcohol. And I don't understand a martini any other way other than really cold and up. The, the people have it on the rocks and all these fruits and all that other stuff hanging off the side or vegetables. That's not really a martini. You float something elegant and that's Yeah, it. I agree. Yeah, and I don't understand the dirty martini. I mean, if it's sprayed, you know, like a hint of the salty The dirty juice, martini is my favorite martini. But not when it's cloudy and not when it's too dirty. I mean, you I can like have it, it a really little dirty. Salty, I like so it nasty, speak. dirty. Really? Yeah, I know you do. We're talking about a cocktail. Exactly. <laughs> Moving on, Dave. Yes. So how did you get involved in the in, in this and the whole reality thing? I mean, listen, I've had a lot of past careers. I'm sure you guys yeah. have. Way back in the day, I went to school, graduated. I practiced corporate tax law for a hot minute. I saw that. What a change right? from tax law to this. Yeah, I'm like a, I, I tell people I'm like a closet smart person. I mean... I am smart. Your parents must be killing themselves. Well, they killed themselves already. (laughs) Listen, I'm like a nice Jewish girl from New York and Connecticut. So (laughs) growing up, it was like, you can either go to med school or law school. Like, these are the two boxes. You... He's a nice Jewish girl with a five o'clock shadow. Well, it also looks like I just woke up and it's the afternoon. So that's a whole nother. And I actually am a morning person. That never stopped us. I just, you know, COVID, you really have to take a shower every day. I don't think so. <laughs> but so my parents are over it at this point. But yes, I did practice corporate tax law. And then I kind of fell into HR and recruiting. And so I had a company for a really long time, like a staffing agency. That was my main real. So that my parents did want to kill themselves. But then I had a successful company that I sold. Like I always tell. So that made up for it. Yeah, that made. Listen, Jewish parents are very simple. It does not matter what you do. It could be the arts, whatever it is. You just got to make money. 
doesn't really matter if it's, uh, you know, well, whatever it is. So there's nothing esteemed about being, mind you, you don't even make money by being a doctor and a lawyer anymore, but that's a whole nother conversation. But so I had a company, so that's kind of what I did. And then when I sold my company, I ran HR for a lot of different companies. Most notably, I worked for Martha Stewart running HR were there. If you think uh-huh. that was... However you think that was is just how it was. I mean, working for Martha Recruit, <laughs> Recruiting prison mates or what's going on? Believe there? it or not, unfortunately, <laughs> I worked there after the whole prison thing. Because I would have loved to have worked there before or during the prison thing. That would have been fun. Yeah, you wouldn't, well, have, had to, you wouldn't have had to deal with her as much. <laughs> no, but you know, perfectionists are a rare breed of people. There's nothing ever you can do that they will be 100% happy with because... They're, they do the exact same things to themselves. So they're never 100% happy with what they deliver either. So it's a constant struggle. So you just got to go, yes, your majesty, no, your majesty, give me a kick and I'll go, your majesty. You're not going to win. So I kind of have a weird like love-hate thing with Martha. But yes, it was a challenging, she's a challenging woman to work for. But, you know, like anyone at the top of their game is tough, I think. Our motto, our sub-motto is, we don't dish, we serve. So we stay away from the dish. You can dish, but we're not allowed to. Yeah. And we just, you dish and we serve the cocktails. I love it. <laughs> I, that's, that's a great motto. I mean, we have to let the guests do their thing, you know, then otherwise we're gossiping and we don't want to be those we guys. We don't want to be gossiping. We don't want to be those guys. David, was your, was your guilty pleasure reality shows? Is that why you chose reality shows? So that's it. So when I stopped like working, like after I worked for all these companies like Martha that merged and like when my last company merged, I mean, I was always into, well, growing up, I was always into pop culture. So it wasn't just reality. Like 90210, Melrose Place, like anything, you know, of the moment pop culture I mm-hmm. loved. I did love reality TV, like right from the beginning, like even Survivor, the real world, but like, of course, like The Hills, Laguna Beach, The Simple Life with Miss Paris and Nicole. So like, I was into reality right from the beginning. So when I stopped working per se, you know, I was always into reality. I just started, I said like, that's when the housewives were kind of a thing. I was like, I just am going to hang out with these people. I don't understand the Instagram account, the meme account that sits there and talks about these people they see on TV. You know, this isn't the Ellens of the world. It's not the Brad Pitts. These are actual people that if you really want to go meet them in the millennial age, they're approachable. Yeah, and we have social media now. It's very, you know, some call it stalking. I call it a calculated situation you put yourself so i was like i'm just gonna go become friends with all these people so that's kind of what i set out to do because i had time on my hands and it was like great like well why watch the show when you could just have a conversation about what's happening in real life and then i was in this world and i was like this has to be a business like i'm not done working in the world just yet and i didn't know i was like i don't understand how this could be a business but it just somehow you know, it didn't happen overnight. I was like month after month of like, what am I supposed to do with this as a business? And then that's when I was like, oh, I think this would lend itself well to a podcast. And then it just kind of snowballed and became a thing. Cocktail break. We'll be right back. Alan and I were talking just a little bit before you came on. Do you know how reality television got started? In the 1970s, there was a show called The Louds. It was on 
PBS, I believe. Uh, and it was a family in New York. And uh, the cameras went in and they moved in with them and then shot everything that they did. And it was the most intense, interesting program because there was absolutely nothing ever like it. And it was the first time that wall came down, you know, that, that veil of Hollywood or movies or, you know, actors and things like that. And you really got a peek. And, and it was frightening for a lot of people, but it was tremendously successful. And it was very frightening for the family. They, they were, it was a really interesting thing. So then that kind of faded away and all the sitcoms took over and all of that and police shows. What really started it was the first time that the cameras were really in a courtroom was when Jaja Gabor slapped the police officer. Remember what a crazy time that was where all the publicity went wild and they were following everything. And then that was, and then that peaked, that started the curiosity. And then the OJ thing, that, that cemented it because out of that came the Kardashians and the, the this and that and the other thing. So it was really within that, that whole lineup of how it all became. And the real world, I think, was around the same time as OJ. I think that was right. Yeah, that, that's that that kind of triggered from that. But interesting, I didn't know also, about the 1970 show. Oh yeah, the yeah, yeah, it was a big hit. It was a big hit, and it was sort of done docu style. But it was really the first time you'd got in and saw. But it was completely family. raw. I mean, there was nothing like set up about it. Like, oh, stand over here and then talk about, you know, that that bitch in the supermarket. You, you know, it wasn't like that. You know, I mean, this was just real people. I mean, you maybe not said a word and just ate your cereal. That's how intense it was. It was really focused on just could it, you could just be sleeping, but you're being filmed sleeping. Out of all these reality shows, which one is your guilty pleasure? It turns out I have a guilty pleasure, and when I thought about it, it is a reality show. What is it? What is it? Dancing with the Stars. Oh, well, that's reality that's contest. That's reality, yeah. But the interesting thing that's is reality. I zip through. I only want to see them dance and see how they've improved next week. And then when they vote somebody off that's a good dancer and leave that terrible dancer on, I, you know, I yell at the television. But uh, I, I like to see them progress. I love to see that contest part of it, uh, only because I'm rather competitive myself. So I, I love to sort of see that competition part. That's what draws me in on that one. My guilty pleasure reality show. I feel guilty for even revealing it because it's so embarrassing. I know I revealed mine. No, but mine people is are going to really be laughing. So you have to it's reveal yours. Love after lockup. When I say I sit there agape, I can't even change the channel. I'm so. I've never seen people like this. I've never known them. They exist. They seek each other out of jail and fall in love supposedly, and then, you know, still want you to give them twenty dollars for food. It's embarrassing, man. But it is just. I am glued. That and 90 Day Fiance. Right. You take the cake. You know, there's podcasts that talk just about Love After Lockup and 90 Day Fiance. They're both huge. But that's what's great about reality TV. Like, you have the competition shows, like Dancing with the Stars. You have, like, the middle of the road. Then you have the, like, this really isn't reality, which is the whole nother discussion that how everything is so scripted nowadays. I mean, that's why, like, when you say, like, you watch someone in the 70s eating breakfast and sleeping... I almost feel that's what it needs to come back to. How many of these people on Instagram or the internet make millions of dollars just by doing exactly that? Sitting there and maybe eating a pizza. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or sneezing, picking her nose, whatever it is. But that's, that's a real thing. People have this strange, morbid curiosity of just watching you do nothing. Yeah. So, but I think not hard work. Because reality is now so scripted, all of it with housewives, 
the Kardashians. It's, it's all great. It's not scripted. It is prodded, preconceived. Okay, preconceived. <laughs> <laughs> they do not read off of a script. It's all preconceived. I had a client uh, who you know, and she uh, was going up. They wanted her to go on a reality show. You know, they had asked her. And so she said, oh, just for fun, because she liked watching them. She said, just for fun, I'm going to go on this interview. She went on the interview, and then she came back, and, and she told, and I asked her, how did everything go? It was for Beverly Hills, I believe. And she says, no, they're not interested. I said, why? You'd be perfect. You have all, all, the, all the accoutrement, but really own the accoutrement that most people are leasing. And she says, that's exactly why. They said I was too rich. <laughs> so they didn't hire her. Isn't that funny? Uh, that's a topic I talk about all the time, too, especially with housewives. I mean, most of them are broke as a joke. Yeah, they don't get yeah. paid that much. People think they're making millions. By the way, some of them are making millions on their on their social media advertising income, but not so much on the show. To make her do things, she doesn't need the money. So why? what would be her incentive to, to act crazy or to throw a table over? Or but to she was crazy. I know who head. you're talking about. But why would she do it? But a lot of those girls, if I... That's what they'll do anything. You sign that away and you've got to reveal it all. So, I mean, I listen, I think people do the reality shows for two reasons, fame or money. I think a lot of it's for fame. I know a lot of people that have endless amounts of money. I mean, to me, if like you have endless amounts of money, your first year salary is usually like $60,000. Yeah, but she's But they got don't the really have the fame. I can't tell you how many people with massive amounts of money have come it. to me and are like, can you help me get a reality show? They, they can't bear that they drive down the street in their Rolls Royce or their bright orange Lamborghini and everybody can look at the car because of what it is, but has no idea who this person is driving, even though this person is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Nobody knows them and it makes them crazy because they have money and no fame. So they want the fame. Yes, 100%. I agree. That's something I talk about all the time. Like, so what does that say about the world? Well, yeah, they should be off enjoying their money and fame just screws it all up. Then you can't do anything you really want to do anymore. Well, we were having, a, there was a conversation about the difference, you know, even in our coasts, you know, even that simple, but it's really all over the world. But where somebody was at a dinner party and they said, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a brain surgeon. Oh, are you? Well, who have you worked on? <laughs> Hello? That's not good enough until you like, Taking a tumor out of Elizabeth Taylor's head. I mean, that's what makes you successful. We have it all twisted. We really have it twisted. Everybody's an entrepreneur. They're still working at the gap. Everybody's a, you know, a this, a CEO, still working at the gap. Hello. Well, look at the person who, or the people, there's that large group of people that helped develop this vaccine. But I don't think they're going to get rich off saving humanity. We reward people who have done less for humanity than those people. I agree. Like you're driving down with an orange Lamborghini and like they have endless amounts of money. So they'll come to you and say, you know, we want a reality show, which I believe that's the truth. That's the way it works. But you take these people that are on reality shows that truly, if you scratch the surface, I mean, there's look at their stuff going on now with Erica Jane and Tom Girardi. That's just one example. But all these people that don't really have like fuck you money the ones that then get the fame, A, if you have any skeletons, they're going to come out. But the people without the real money, I wonder how many would trade in the fame now that they've had a moment of it. They don't have a pot to piss in. 
and they would probably take, I mean, that's the, that's the thing. This person with the $200 million, whether they have a happy family or not, that's another story. Like they have more of a life on a yearly basis than these people that are on TV. With the Vanderpump rules, interesting how karma came to play there because didn't they, Stassi and them, they all got fired. Didn't she like shit in a, a, somebody's wig? Or was that, who was that that shit in a wig? Okay. The person. I have no idea. Uh, no, I'm thinking, no, it was Leah Michelle. I got it wrong. Okay. But, the, yes. Or it was something like that. But they, 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 they used a slur, I think, it was with Stassi and the other, uh, the other, the other girl did. They, they used a slur, right? A racial slur yes, or something? Stassi and Kristen. So that's another thing, too. I put it out right after that happened. I mean, it just, it just, it was like a perfect storm of events for behind the Velvet podcast that this interview was recorded just like a few weeks before. And I'm like, cause I have five shows a week. I'm like, let me change the air date. I put it out the day after. I mean, we all know what happened then, but I also had someone on who worked with Leah Michelle on Broadway. Same thing. He was on a reality show called newlyweds. The first year old show on Bravo. He was part of a gay couple it was like, this is going to be whatever. He came on and he was on Broadway. So he was talking about Broadway. And I'm like, so did you work with anyone interesting on Broadway? He's like, blah, 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 Leah Michelle. I'm like, oh, tell me about Leah Michelle. He's like, she's the most horrific, disgusting, despicable. <laughs> and he went on and on and on. And I was like, I still didn't even think like it was because, but then this thing happened in the world where Leah Michelle and everyone's starting to say these things. And then, before this came out, I sent it to my press team and I'm like, is this anything? And they're like, are you fucking kidding me? This is like something. And then it went all over the world. So like you just, so, and here I was thinking like, I don't know, I guess I'll put this show out. Like he's a nice guy. And like, so it just, you just never can tell. Well, I was just reporting and I got it confused. I thought the other two idiots did it. Somebody shit in a wig. That's all. No, no, that, that was Leah Michelle, but that wasn't on my podcast. No, that that was Leah Michelle. But is that I didn't make it up. No, but whose wig supposedly. is she cropping in? Like, like, like another cast member. She didn't like her, whatever. When she left the dressing room, she see. I like that, <laughs> Leah. Yeah, you and I would be you're such good the wig. <laughs> but <laughs> I would be. Wig. So it wasn't it wasn't directed at me. So see, she and I would get along just fine. <laughs> I'd bring her some wigs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one's so and so's wig. This one's so and so's wig. Go at it, girl. <laughs> but David, what is going on with this book of yours? Listen, I'm one of those people who anyone that started COVID and said, "What the hell is going on in the world?" I'm going to go to sleep. I don't turn my nose about you. I get that. I'm just not that person. So when my podcast went from two days to three days to four days to now five days a week in the beginning of COVID, I was still like, this still isn't enough. I still, there's 24 hours in a day and we're trapped in and I am going to lose my mind. What am I going to do? And I'm like, I better write this book now because it's never going to happen again. Because when the world opens, I'm out of here. I mean, I'll still be around for the podcast, but I have a life. So I wrote a book at the beginning of COVID. It's really a how-to book. It's with a slight bit of humor and a lot of these stories are in there, yes. But it really is like, everyone says to me, how did you become friends with all these reality stars? Well, here's the book, how-to. Read this book and it will, it's not like a just fluff, it's a real, it doesn't happen overnight. Rome wasn't built in a day. It's a how-to book. If you follow this book, you can pick someone. You want to be friends with Dolores Catania? Go read this book. It could happen. 
it's out there, but like now it's like stalled in the process. There's like, you know, you, it, like you say, you, you need a book agent. I think if anyone thinks they're going to do this without the right agent, it's not going to happen. And, and I've been so busy too. So part of it's that like, I got completely derailed. So I was like following up and making this all happen. So now there's a book. It's too long. It needs to be edited, but okay, that's better than. Yeah, it's better for it to be long. It's easier to cut than to add. Which was my whole thing. I was like, I want everything out. And if we have to take out a chapter here, a chapter there, that's better than adding stuff. So we have to talk. Do I self-publish it? Like, here's the thing. I talked about it so much in the beginning that now that I've moved on, I mean, it's written, people are literally, they do it in public too, but I get DMs all the time from my listeners being like, where the hell's your book? No, exactly. Once you've announced it, you know, people going to want to yeah, know where it is, when's it, it coming. And if you publish it yourself, you're going to wind up with a house full of a lot of books. That's what I'm picturing. So what is your guilty pleasure show? You know, like, so when I hear guilty pleasure, I don't think like Dancing with Stars. I think more along the lines of like Love After Lockup or 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> like something yeah. so bad. So I'm trying so to bad. think like currently. I can't dig that deep. I just can't. Like currently, <laughs> I don't watch anything so lower. I have to say a couple of things. I mean, right to the bitter end, I will I will be watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians to the last millisecond. It is as good all these years later as it was the first second it came on. Well, it was fun having you on. Really, really was. Thank you. Say hi to everybody we have in common. You know who they are. Same here. You guys are the best. Keep me posted. Right. Thank you. We, we really will. appreciate all right. it. Thank good luck you. with everything else, too. Thank you, guys. I'll talk to you later. Well, how much fun was that? A lot of fun. Yeah, he's great. I had no idea he'd be so energetic and dishy. That was he that was, was fun. He we broke don't do, all of he we, broke we all of our rules. He broke all of our dishes. <laughs> all of our dishes. <laughs> yeah, no, that was fun. I enjoyed yeah. that. Well, if you want to keep that going, what do we got to do? Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And as we continue this journey, we're going to be discussing the ins and outs of our jobs more, the publishing world, the culinary world. We're going to put some recipes up, some Yeah, we'll give you up. little tips and fun stuff to follow. And if you have a question, we'd love to hear from you. So if there's a certain topic you're interested in, please DM or even better, send us an email at contact at twoguysfromhollywood.com. We really would love to hear from you. And don't forget to follow us on our social media as well. We'll talk at you soon. Two Guys from Hollywood is hosted, created, and produced by Alan Nevins and Joey Santos. Produced by Lauren Boone. Editing and post-production by Nathan Moody. Music by Luca. Executive produced by Dan Patrick. It is also executive produced by Paul Anderson and Nick Pinella for Workhouse Media. This podcast is a production of Renaissance Literary and Talent and Dan Patrick Productions in association with Workhouse Media. Two Guys from Hollywood is a production of iHeartRadio and the Dan Patrick Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.